Welcome to Talent Up, Elevating Leaders. A year ago, in September of 2019, we interviewed Margaret Schuler, who is System Vice President of Revenue Cycle for Ohio Health. In that podcast, Margaret shared how she was working to strengthen the culture and build resilience in her department of 1,700 employees. This year, that resiliency has been tested with the introduction of COVID-19, and unlike many news reports of healthcare systems that are struggling to stay afloat, Margaret's team rose to the occasion to serve their patients and keep this nonprofit organization financially strong. To find out how they accomplished this feat, our managing partner, Dr. Linda Reese, asked Margaret to meet online for a follow-up interview. Here, Margaret shares details of how her dedicated staff used creative solutions to not only survive, but excel during an unforeseen and unyielding crisis. Margaret, thanks for joining us again today. It was really fascinating to talk with you a few months ago, and I just want to refresh everybody's memory. Um, about three years ago, you moved into the top revenue cycle role in a very successful regional health system. And from our perspective, you leaned into that transition hard. You really focused on making it as effective as you possibly could. During your transition, you and your team reinforced an existing culture of effectiveness and accountability. And at the same time, you strengthened the leadership. One of the lasting contributions of embracing the lean principles and methods has been that Revenue Cycle has continued to see year-over-year improvements in performance and engagement, which is pretty remarkable. And, and Linda, I'm happy to report that we were just recognized as a high performer revenue cycle, and we were awarded the HFMA MAP Award for the ninth time. Wow, Margaret, congratulations. That's pretty impressive. For the audience, would you mind refreshing our memories about the work that you and your team do? Yes, revenue cycle. Uh, what my team oversees, we have 1,700 associates from Revenue Cycle here at Ohio Health, and we oversee the scheduling and registration, the coding and the, the billing of claims to insurance companies. We oversee the financial care of the patient, if you will, um, within the healthcare industry. So we ensure that patients are able to easily access care, again, through the registration scheduling process, get the appropriate insurance information from patients. Um, and we bill the insurance company. Those patients that don't have insurance, we work with them very closely to help their specific financial situation. Then we post the cash and we deal with denials and collections on the back end. So, Margaret, would it be safe to say that anybody who experienced Ohio Health as a patient has come into contact with someone from your team? Yes, yes. We touch the patient before they get here. We touch the patient while they're here, and we touch the patient after they've gone home. So we are a big part of the patient's experience, again, before, during, and after their care. Well, and it sounds like Caring for them financially is an important part of healthcare for Ohio Health and for your team. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, thank you. That's really inspiring. Margaret, do you mind if we spend some time talking about uh, the impact that COVID-19 has had for you and your team? I mean, I know it showed up almost overnight, and I'm curious about how it's impacted you and impacted your team and the operations you lead. Absolutely. So many of the things I'm going to share, everyone throughout the country, across the globe, have experienced at different levels uh, what I'm going to share. But to just paint the picture, specifically to revenue cycle and healthcare specifically, just going to talk to you about some of the changes that happened so quickly and how we had to pivot overnight. So our very, very first priority was the safety of our associates and our patients. And that was our perfect north during this entire situation and continues to be. Um, we let this perfect north drive all of our decisions. And because uh, we put safety first, it really helped us prioritize what was important and what wasn't important. So with that, for us, all of our associates that were not patient-facing 
we knew we needed to get them home overnight. So as I mentioned earlier, we have 1,700 associates in revenue cycle. We already had about 500 associates home. We have been working on sending associates home um, over the last couple of years. But we had to send another 500 home within a two-week time frame, uh, which was amazing. It was important, again, from a safety perspective. And then secondarily, we wanted people to get home so they could work, so they could be productive. So what that literally meant is packing everyone up. And we didn't have necessarily all the right equipment for everyone, but we sent people home with what we had. It was a minimal viable product, if you will. So we sent people home with desktops. Uh, We had 100-foot Ethernet cords, so if associate needed to... Dock into their Wi-Fi at home through an Ethernet, through the kitchen and around the corner. You know, we want to give them a cable to be able to do that. So we did whatever it took, again, to get our associates home from a safety perspective. Uh, I have another 700 associates at our care sites, uh, registering patients, providing financial counseling to our patients, releasing medical record information to our patients. So it was really important, too, for our associates at our care sites that they were protected with, um, we call it PPE, personal protective equipment, masks, hand sanitizer, uh, appropriate spacing. Uh, We put up plexiglass in many of the areas. So safety, uh, again, our perfect north and our focus and, and remains to be, and that has driven a lot of our decisions. Also, to give you a sense of kind of what we were up against, again, in this healthcare environment and specifically to to revenue cycle, the governor in March made the decision that all elective procedures should be canceled. So we immediately had to call our patients and let them know that their elective procedures uh, had been canceled and that we would be rescheduling as soon as we knew more information. So we immediately had to pivot. And, and cancel those elective procedures. Again, a lot of confusion for our patients, not only our associates, but our patients. So we'd immediately, as a leadership team, put in scripting and protocols and policies. You know, how are we going to do this? What were we going to say? And again, to minimize any confusion or anxiety for our patients. Then um, we were told. Uh, Recently, in June, that we could bring back patients for elective procedures. So we had to call back our patients, welcome them back, share with them uh, how safety, again, was our number one concern. And bringing our patients back was another change that we had to pivot quickly on. So all of these changes happened between March and now and are continuing to change. The other thing that had to happen is we put up, popped up tents all over town for patients to come up for COVID testing. And so how were we going to logistically get patients through the lines and get them scheduled and registered? Revenue Cycle played a big part in that. And we were able to, in conjunction and partnership with our friends in IT and our clinical areas, come up with a way to do remote scheduling and remote uh, registration. So again, that touchless experience Again, not exposing our associates to potential COVID patients and then vice versa, protecting our patients. So that's just another example where we had to pivot. Telehealth popped up overnight with COVID. Um, Our patients, our associates, our providers, uh, we hadn't been experienced with telehealth, but we knew our patients, we, we needed to still provide care remotely. So we rallied as a health system between IT, our clinical departments, revenue cycle. We all worked together and stood up telehealth overnight. You know, we learned what, how we had to document, how we had to charge, how we had to bill for that. At the same time, the payers were doing the same thing. The health plans were figuring out how were they going to reimburse for telehealth? What were they going to require from a coding and billing perspective? So all of this was happening in the industry overnight. We were teaching our patients how would they get on to a telehealth visit? How could they use their iPhone or their iPad or their computer? So uh, this all has happened in the last four months. 
So the rate of change in healthcare ha- has just been tremendous. Again, not to take away from what's been happening a- across the globe, but um, unique to us is we want to make sure we're taking care of our patients and our communities. And so we've had to pivot very, very quickly to be successful in the space. You know, what comes to mind for me is I know that you have really focused on excellence and on each person that works in your organization, nailing down their systems and processes and being able to repeat consistently the same high level of performance. It sounds like their task base changed dramatically and that it changed for many, many people and that they were doing completely different work or work in a different way than they'd done before. Is that correct? Am I hearing that correctly? That is correct. And and let me share an example. When we had to cancel our elective procedures, our revenue dipped almost in half. And of course, the patients weren't coming in as frequently as they were. So we redeployed staff I had registrars helping out billing. I had billing helping out registrars. So immediately we had to provide virtual training. We had to give access, security access to other aspects of the work. And again, we had to create uh, virtual training quickly. So our associates with Lean Thinking and Gemba, you, it's all about creating problem solvers. And one of my mantras is I want to have 1,700 problem solvers on my team. And what I experience is I have 1,700 problem solvers. COVID challenged us and we rose to the occasion. And I had people during this time frame doing things that they had never done overnight. We all rallied together as a team of 1,700 people and did whatever it took to ensure that our associates remained employed, and we were able to give the best care and the best experience to our patients. Do you mind if I um, put the focus on the Ohio Health System for just a moment? It's my understanding that Ohio Health made a commitment to retention of all their employees through the COVID crisis. Is that correct? That is correct. I'm so proud of Ohio Health and our senior leadership team and all of our leaders throughout Ohio Health. We all made a commitment that we did not want to have to furlough associates or layoff associates. This is a wonderful organization to work for, and we wanted to ensure that we had that commitment to our associates so they didn't have to worry if week to week they were going to have a job. With that commitment, we had to manage expenses very, very closely. So as positions open up through attrition, we didn't fill them. And also we redeployed associates where they're potentially on a short-term basis, their work was minimized. We were able to redeploy them throughout the entire health system. And the health system across the board, 35,000 associates, again, we all came together to protect our associates and to make sure that we met the commitment that we had made. Well, and it sounds like what you've described, Margaret, is that all these changes that you enacted allowed you to make the change rapidly, but but also in a way that was supportive of and, you know, as satisfying as it could be to your employees. And it seems like you really didn't miss a beat from a productivity perspective. Is, is that correct? That is correct. A big part of our job is to collect the money for the health system. You know, our job is to bring in over $4 billion a year. And that money, uh, of course, allows us to pay our associates and also to continue to deliver the amazing care we do to our community. And uh, it was very, very, very important that we kept cash flow going and production going during this time. So getting our associates home, getting them situated, getting them functional with headsets and computers and Ethernet cords was very, very important, uh, again, to keep the business going. Well, and while you haven't referenced it yet, I know from our earlier conversations that this has been a really emotional process for you and your colleagues. I mean, it's been a time that's been scary for many of us, if not most or all of us, just because of uncertainty. And, you know, we're asking them to be and do things differently than they've done before. And as leaders, we don't know exactly what the future looks like. 
So I'm guessing that you've been on a personal journey as you've been leading your operation through this COVID transition. And I'm wondering uh, what you've learned from this new way of working. You know, first of all, about your team. What insights do you have about your team from seeing this transition? Yeah, that's a great question. I'd like to start out with some general what we've learned and then really dive into the team and myself, Linda. Okay. So just what we've learned is one, we can pivot. And when you pivot and you fail fast um, and you learn fast, you can just keep improving upon processes. We learned how to be extremely nimble, uh, doing more with less. We just got stuff done. Again, keeping the perfect north, meaning the safety of our our associates and safety of our patients. As long as we knew that that was our focus and that was our goal, everything else fell into place. Silos were eliminated. We got to know people at a whole different level, right? When you're doing WebExes at home every day, you can see their dogs and their kids and their cats. You know, it gave us the opportunity, again, to get to know one another differently in a better way, in a deeper way. Being informal is okay. Um, We pride ourselves on excellence. Uh, There's a lot of discipline that goes into that and a lot of formality. With COVID, it brought that we can be informal and that's okay. Um, We didn't have to have the meeting before the meeting and the meeting after the meeting, right? We didn't have time for all those meetings. And so it really allowed us to empower our people, empower our leaders to make the best decisions, to trust one another, to make the best decisions, especially knowing that our safety for our associates and our patients was number one. So, Margaret, you've had a long-term commitment to um, implementing lean principles and using some of the tools, such as the Gemba Walk and the Visual Management Board, and that's really fostered excellence for your team. And it's been a privilege to be party to it, be able to experience that and uh, watch how that enhances the connectedness and the collaboration within your team. How did that investment help your team prepare for COVID? What did it do for you? So prior to COVID, we had spent three years putting key performance metrics and boards in functional areas throughout the revenue cycle, and then creating a visual management board that outlines visually all of our strategic initiatives and projects. With the KPI boards, let me spend a moment there and describe that in each functional area, the associates are engaged in problem solving and identifying opportunities, and they are the ones that develop the metrics that will be stood up on the board. And then we have something called a Gemba round where every single day we have a group of, a small group of leaders that physically walk to the boards throughout the functional areas. We have been working on that three years and it had become a way of a life for us, a way how we operate and operated pre-COVID, and our associates were engaged at a completely different level. They were the ones presenting what they were tracking and what the issue was or where they needed help. Again, that concept of having 1,700 problem solvers is so powerful rather than just having 1, 2, 10, 20. And so that engagement, we did not want to lose after COVID. It was critical. Once we got things stabilized, people home, uh, ensuring, uh, again, we had our our policies and procedures humming around COVID. Again, it's still changing every day, but settling the the immediate changes down, we, we turned towards virtualizing our gimbal walks and our visual management board. And so in the last month, we have been able to do that. And a couple of things that we've seen right now, we're doing two Gimba routes during that time, 10 o'clock every day. Uh, again, the associates are logged in and they are the ones still presenting the KPI and the Pareto charts and 
digging into what we call the five whys of problem solving. They're the ones that are presenting. It's not the manager or the senior leader. They are presenting. And then our leadership team is calling into the Gemba route. And now anyone and everyone can join because it's virtual. All you need is to be able to call in or dial in and you can participate. And that has been another way to connect with people working at home all over the state of Ohio and have that sense of belonging and that they're still a part of some normalcy, if you will, from pre-COVID. So we've been able to continue that and to continue on top of it, that problem solving um, and that identification of concerns and issues. So that's been very powerful, again, with our Gemba route up and running virtually. The second thing that we virtualized was our visual management board. Again, that's where um, we meet once a week for an hour. We had a, a small contingency meeting in our administrative suite physically before COVID. Now we get together virtually. The leader of each one of those initiatives is prepared weekly to talk about the status of that initiative. Is it progressing? Is it moving forward? What barriers do they have? What help do they need? I'm on the call. My senior leadership team's on the call. We have key stakeholders from IT and our supply chain team on the call. Our InfoMaz team's on the call. And our managers and our, our directors are on the call. Before, again, it was a small contingency um, of about 20, 30 people that would meet weekly. Now I have at least 80 leaders that join the call every week. So there is this, again, new sense of community, a virtual community. Everyone has the, uh, are empowered to ask questions, be involved, be engaged in strategically um, where our initiatives are going, especially with COVID, when we've had to put some on the back burner or move others forward faster than others and reprioritization. Again, it's allowed our leadership and our informaticist team and the stakeholders to know where our projects are and what direction we're going in. So we've been able to keep that continuity and that secret sauce going of what we had before COVID. It's been a big part of our success. And it's a way of life, again, I want to stress for how we manage our day-to-day -day operations. So I'm so thankful and appreciative that we were able to get that up in a virtual format. And we've only seen success and we're going to keep adding to that. The connectedness, it sounds remarkable. And the empowerment of bringing mid-level leaders into the visual management board when you would not physically have been able to fit them in the room and they were in different locations as well. In some ways, this is the upside, you know, of a challenging situation. It is. It is. So you as a leader, you've had your own personal transition on top of the fact that you've led this whole organization because you're a human and you're experiencing COVID and you're leading people through something you've never experienced before. And I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about how that's felt and what you've tried to focus on. One of the things I have been on as a leader, what's trending now is self-awareness. And I've been on a journey around self-awareness. And more than ever, with the challenges of COVID, it's so critical to be self-aware of how you're conducting yourself. Jack Canfield, who actually wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul, he has a saying that uh, E plus R equals O. And what that means is event plus response equals your outcome. I try to remind myself of this every single day. Again, being a recovering perfectionist, <laughs> once I could figure out and once I figured out that I could not control everything. With COVID, you don't control anything. It changes every day. We're learning about it every day. And so once you realize as a leader what you can control and influence and what you can't and you just let it go, and you continue to be self-aware of your response to that event that's happening to you, that's what dictates the outcome as a leader. So being calm, being a listener, 
being supportive has been critical through this process. Knowing that there, you're going to have awful, really bad days as a leader. And you need to just look yourself in the mirror and say, I had a really bad day. I wasn't, I didn't bring my, um, my A game today. I'm going to do better tomorrow. And being okay with that. Giving yourself space and grace um, as a leader. Not only giving your associates that space and grace, but giving yourself that space and grace is super important. And it sounds um, like that's, I'm sorry, Margaret. Go, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. It sounds like that's where growth happens because as a high achieving leader, you want to be the person who has the answers and knows the direction you need to take. And it sounds like what you're describing is, is that this powerlessness over the circumstances still gives you a success path that you can be on, but it's much more about saying, we don't have all the answers, but what I do have is confidence in you as a team. I'm here to support you. We're going to create, you know, consistency. We're going to be strong for each other and we're going to get through this, which is a very different kind of leading than, you know, being tough and having all the answers. It's, it's, it just sounds more resilient inherently. Is that sort of how it felt to you? That is true, because there was and continues not to be the playbook for COVID-19, right? Nobody has a playbook. And so we're learning as we go. And so allowing your team to see you as being vulnerable, that you don't have all the answers, that you need their input, you need their help, is very powerful. It breaks the stigma between layers. And again, you're, you're all focusing on that perfect north which for, again, us was the safety of our associates and our patients. Well, and it sounds like you accomplished your work, not in a revenue cycle vacuum, but in partnership with people from all over Ohio Health. And I'm wondering what you learned about interacting with other functions within Ohio Health and other leaders, either that were new to you or people that you had worked with before. It's cliche, but again, those silos came down and we all had that perfect north. So. Instead of having formal meetings and PowerPoint presentations, we had huddles. We had huddles in the morning or leaders, we would text one another. Hey, can I talk to you for a minute? I got an idea. How about we do this? Or delegation. We each took a piece of the pie. Whether it was exactly in in your swim lane or not, we all rallied. Um, Here's an example. Um, We thought at one moment we were going to have to set up beds for patients at the convention center uh, downtown and Mount Carmel and the OSU Medical Center and Ohio Health, the the three health systems, we collaborate and work together to stand up beds at the convention center overnight. So we were ready. Leaders across the health system, we all had to step up, RASA stepped up. And everyone, nobody said no, right? Everyone said yes. I I will do whatever it takes to, again, um, ensure the safety of our associates and our patients. So coming together, we came together at a completely new level. Um, And we did not let bureaucracy or turf stand in the way. We really just said, how can you help? How can I help? What do we need to do to work together as a team? And again, that was in partnership with our clinicians, partnership with our IT department, partnership with our lean promotion office, partnership with our education and training team, you name it, everybody um, has come together. It sounds a little bit like you, you responded to the circumstances by trying to be as flexible and as mission-driven as you could be. And that in some way, the things that you accomplished sort of reinforced the value of being that way and made you and your colleagues more resilient. Is that how it happened or is that just me imagining things? (laughs) No, it is. It is. And we are a not-for-profit organization. Um, We are extremely mission-focused. And again, keeping that as our perfect North, our North Star, that really uh, allowed us to rally with COVID in front of us. 
Well, I think one of the really neat opportunities that presented itself as you had made it through, you know, the the surge and some of the worst parts of the crisis was that Denison Consulting, which is a firm that specializes in assessing culture and you've used their tools before, has been developing an organizational resilience survey and they invited us to invite you to participate with your entire operation to assess the resilience of your organization and I think that was a really interesting process. They looked at five important areas that contributed to resilience, and it was everything from having the right technology to strong communication. And um, you may have a resilient team already, but it sounds like this sort of compounded the resilience of your team. What did you learn about the resilience of the RevCycle operation as a result of being part of the survey? You know, looking back and reflecting, you know, over the last really three years and us hardwiring what we talked about earlier around our Gemba walks and our virtual management board and our strategic plan and revenue cycle and our goal deployment process, we didn't realize what we were preparing for. And in fact, we have been preparing for this COVID crisis. And because of our preparation, the discipline, around how we manage our operations allowed us to be able to pivot with a crisis like COVID and be successful and get everyone home within a two weeks timeframe and have policies and procedures in place and cancel procedures for patients and then turn around and get them rescheduled again. So it's like training for a marathon. I haven't run a marathon, but I've run a half marathon And I've trained for a half marathon and you run an extra mile every day as you prepare to get ready for that half marathon or marathon. And it's amazing after 13 weeks, that's what it takes to get prepared for a half marathon. You're ready to run that half marathon with just adding an extra mile every day and getting prepared. And so that incremental and those improvements we were making prior to COVID Every step of the way, that extra mile helped us get prepared for what we faced and what we're continuing to face every day. Wow. And, you know, I think about running a long distance and most of us would say, I could never do that. What you're saying, Margaret, is is that if you're methodical about increasing your capacity and focusing on excellence, it makes you readier to handle almost anything that could come your way because we've had other you know, major disasters in our country before, and we've seen leaders respond resiliently, and we've seen leaders not respond resiliently. So when you think about all the things that you heard in the resilience survey and that you've observed about your team, what are the things that you're most proud of in the results of the resilience data that you received? Probably, and we talked about this earlier, but that I'm most proud of is we weren't, we did not um, have to furlough our associates by redeploying resources appropriately, moving people around when, when we had positions that opened up through attrition, doing our virtual training, getting people access that they needed. So again, avoiding furloughs and layoffs, we're super proud of our senior leadership team and how they pivoted. Also, special shout out to our new CEO, Dr. Markovich, who's really leaned in to COVID and leading this organization through these challenges, has done a fantastic job. I'm very proud of our communication. You know, when you're in crises moment and you're in this panic mode, communication is so critical. People want to know what is going on. What should I expect? What's happening, especially when you're sent home overnight and you're not connecting like you were to your your manager, your supervisor, your your coworker. So one of the things that we had done prior to COVID where we had instituted daily huddles and that managers were connecting with their associates on a daily basis. And, And that really served us well with COVID and that came out in the survey as far as being resilient in that communication, um, how important that was to associates. So top-down communication was one of our strengths. Also proud of back to business. Once we got the green light to fully open our doors again at Ohio Health, 
um, our ability, again, to pivot yet again, to get our patients scheduled, to reach out to our patients and to get people the access to the care they needed. Very, very proud of that back to business effort from across Ohio Health and, of course, specifically in revenue cycle. The speed of change, again, phenomenal. And again, how we were able every day, things were changing. Um, not every week, it was every day and sometimes every hour. And so being able to react to that effectively, uh, very proud of. And again, can't stress enough that perfect, perfect north that focus on the safety of our associates and our patients um, and getting them the care they need or the equipment they need, again, to be safe. And if you don't mind me saying so, Margaret, you know, we're familiar with other healthcare organizations. And I think that right up there with the commitment to the safety of your patients and your employees is your commitment to retain the full employment of your employees, because we're familiar with health systems that are less than half the size of yours that have laid off thousands of people as a result of COVID. And so you know, for someone who's not in healthcare, they may not understand what it means to have full employment, but when your revenue may be cut in half because you can't perform elective procedures, you have to make a lot of adjustments in order to balance the books because you've been focusing on this organizational health ahead of time. It sounds like that's contributed to your resilience. Is that sort of your sense of it? Yeah. When your revenue has been cut in half and, and your goal is not to furlough you have to watch every dime, right? So over time, uh, we cut out. Um, we, again, tried to do more with less. And uh, that's a strain on people. That's tough. That's tough. And everyone stepped up, really, really stepped up in order to get through this. So the greater good of all of our associates, again, we didn't have to furlough our associates. People did not have to take pay cuts. And it's because everyone was laser focused on watching expenses, again, chipping in, doing whatever it took to get through this last four months. So in a way, what you're proudest of in terms of the response to the COVID crisis is the people. It's how they've behaved. It's how they've engaged. It's how they've taken chances. Uh, and it sounds like they've been instrumental to making this happen and all of you making it happen together. I think that's really an accomplishment. So out of this experience, Margaret, what thing do you wish that you had known more about before COVID hit that would have helped with resilience? Or is there something you learned during the process about where you want you or your operation to be or feel a little bit more resilient? You know, hindsight's always foresight, right? And reflecting back in the last four months, which is a little bit blurry. I think we can all <laughs> admit it, it's been an interesting time. I'm going to go back to those two words, space and grace. You know, we told people literally that have been sitting in the same cubicle for 15 years next to their best friend, I need you to go home tomorrow, pack up your stuff. We have people retiring that have worked for Ohio Health for 30 years. I had an associate retire who had worked for Ohio Health for 45 years. And, you know, you always have a big retirement celebration and a get-together. Well, we couldn't do that. So we celebrated different ways, right? We sent flowers or we had uh, virtual happy hours, but it wasn't the same, right? And so there's a sense of mourning you know, you want to make sure you're giving people that space to mourn. And it's okay to mourn. Mourning, seeing uh, their coworkers in the morning while they're getting coffee, smiling at one another, having that, that human connection. It went away overnight in, in many areas. And so just, again, giving people that space to mourn and giving people a little more grace if they weren't on their A game. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as a leader, you're constantly looking for, we got to climb up that mountain. We got to climb up that mountain. Being able to pause for a moment, celebrate, stop, breathe. You know, there's always, you look back and you said, huh, I should have done a little more of that. 
I think that's a takeaway. Communication, you can't communicate enough. When you think you're communicating, you're not communicating. So (laughs) constantly challenging yourself, how are you communicating? Should you be doing more? Should you be doing less? You know, it's you're never going to reach everybody, but constantly looking for feedback on how are we doing with the communication? What should we be doing differently? Those are the types of things, again, in retrospect, you know, reflecting that maybe we should have, could have, should have done more of. Well, I know when we were reviewing the results of your resilience survey, one of the things that I found most touching was that one member of your team was talking about how he really found comfort and value in reaching out to the people on his team and being truly authentic about it. When you say creating space, it's not only space for them to be alone and dealing with their own challenges. I think it's also the space to set the work aside for a minute, you know, the numbers and focus on the humans and, you know, talking about how are you doing? What struggles are you having? And that that's a legitimate conversation to have at work. And it means a lot to people to know that their boss or even a random colleague really wants to know how they're doing. Um, Because we all have struggled. And I think it's so much healthier to say we're struggling than it is to act like we've all got this. Um, Because I think that that's what perfectionists do, right? And as a recovering perfectionist, what I hear you saying is, this is extraordinary. We haven't experienced it before, but what we are is we're all here together and we're here for each other. Yes. And in the middle of this, and again, the entire country and the entire globe was dealing with this, you know, daycares were shut down. People that were taking care of loved ones, their their care situation changed. So everyone's personal life changed overnight as well. So not only is a work environment, which for many, many folks was a, a way to separate personal and professional, was all blended together. And so your point about connecting with people, super important. One of the things that I, I stress, and we're trying to really embrace this culturally at Ohio Health, is to turn your camera on. Even if your hair's a mess or you don't have your makeup on or your dog's barking on the background, it's important to turn the camera on and get connected and look people in the eyes and say, how's your day going? What's happening? Or see their kid bouncing in the background, say, oh, you know, there's Susie back there. How's Susie doing? That means a lot to people. Or say, hey, you look tired today. How's your day going? What can I do differently to help you out? Or do you need to go just might take a, an hour off and go grab some lunch. You know, that connection, and you can only do that when you turn the cameras on. That's been really, really, really important for us through this. And it's one of those tips um, <laughs> I, I would like to share with people because even whether it's a vendor partner or another leader, turn the cameras on is really, really important. That makes a lot of sense. So if you had to give advice to a leader who might be listening to our conversation about what they could do to build the resilience of their team, what would be the guidance that you would give them, Margaret? What would you want them to be able to do in order to foster that? My advice is, first of all, let go. Let go of what you can't change, what you can't influence, and focus on what you can change and what you can help and what you can do. That's number one. Once you do that, then you can start focusing on the work at hand because you can't fix everything and you can't change everything. So focus on what you can focus on. First things first. Schedule time, but downtime is critical. You literally can be on WebExes from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. if you let yourself. It's not good for you and it's not good for your team. So make sure you're making time. For yourself. Now, I say that tongue in cheek. Again, I have good days and bad days. You know, I'm giving a lot of advice, but I don't follow my own advice some days. But um, I'm trying to do that more and more is not do back to back WebExes. Celebrating the wins, no matter how small or how big. Start your meetings off if you have a standing meeting. Make that intentional, put it on your agenda. Because if you don't put it on the agenda and make it intentional, it won't happen. Connect 
again, that human interaction, turn your cameras on. Uh, we are working right now to ensure that uh, the thousand people I have at home right now, everyone has a camera. Not everyone has a camera right now because we had to send them home so quickly. We're working on ordering cameras for everybody. Over-communicate. One of the things that we did is we used to meet with our leadership team, our managers on up quarterly. Now we meet weekly. I give updates. We use it as a town hall meeting. We um, allow anyone that has a question, comment, concern, bring it up. Um, and we use, we're all on WebEx, which is a little tricky, but we use the chat box and we type in the questions. After the meeting, if a question doesn't get answered, people reach out to me or reach out to their leader to get answers. So again, keeping those lines of communication open, daily huddles with day-to-day operational teams, mission critical, especially when the pace of change is happening so quickly. Our marketing and communications team here at Ohio Health has been phenomenal, getting communications out to the masses on the changes with COVID and things happening and how it impacts them, whether it's time off or personal protective equipment or information, again, about their job. You can take those stresses away and allow folks to be focusing on what's important, either in their personal life. Or, or at work rather than the pieces that they can't control. Again, communicate to them that their job is going to be okay. So that over-communication is more important than ever. Do you mind if I ask you a quick question? I know we had intended the last one to be the last one, but I'm thinking about what you're describing about the ways of working, Margaret. And We don't know what the new normal is. I think what we are probably learning is that we're never, ever going to go back to working exactly the way that we used to for a variety of reasons. So it sounds like in addition to rising to the occasion that you and your team have been forging a new way of working together that could sustain um, perhaps a more virtual workforce or perhaps a more engaged collaborative model going forward. And that could be something that it endures regardless of whether we've conquered COVID or not. Yes. You know, we're starting to develop a new normal. We're not going to go back, right? Telehealth, for example, is not going to go away. People say that Jack is already out of the box and it's not going away. It's a good thing. Our ability to work virtually and pull hundreds of people together for a meeting or an update is good stuff. The innovation, the teamwork, the collaboration that's happened, the breaking down the silos, the breaking down bureaucracy has just been tremendous. And I don't think you'll find a leader that wants to go back to an environment that is super formal and committee after committee. Also that humanness and the balancing of work life and work and life is completely changed. You know, seeing a child bounce in the background (laughs) on a WebEx, you know, that's real. That's, that's reality. And so um, blending work and life, it's okay. And you can still do both and you can still get your job done. So, you know, I I think that's changed permanently. I have a a whole closet full of black suits that I don't know what I'm going to do with. because I haven't worn a suit. First of all, I hope they fit. But second of all, I'm not sure we're all going to be wearing black suits in the future anymore. So those are things that have changed. You know, people are wearing flip flops now or jeans every day. So that is has changed. And I think being informal like that is here to stay. And that's something that's been good out of COVID to break down, again, maybe those facades and bring the humanness out in all of us. Facing into the tragedy and the emergency, you and your team have been able to support people that Ohio Health was delivering care to and make their experience as positive as possible. But your team has also undergone a transformation. 
And you're just to be commended for staying with this and for being willing to say, I don't have the answers and I have to evaluate every situation and figure out whether I can control it or whether I need to let go of it. That's authentic. And I think focusing on what matters, that's really the message that I take from the conversation we've had today. Thank you for your time. Are there any things that you'd like to say um, in closing in our conversation? Yeah, in closing, just a huge shout out to my team, all 1,700 of them. So proud of them. I am representing them. They have all risen to the occasion. And I get emotional when I talk about my team. Every one of them um, are stars. Every one of them. So after I get my composure here, I want to end with a quote. I was born in the 70s, so I'm a child of Mr. Rogers and grew up with Mr. Rogers on TV, like many of you. And um, uh, the quote that we just sent out, we send a weekly newsletter out to all 1,700 associates. And it's, it's more of an informal newsletter, and it's to keep us all connected. And on the last page of our, our our weekly newsletter is we end with something funny and, and an inspirational quote. So our inspirational quote this week um, was from Mr. Rogers. And so he said, in times of stress, the best thing we can do for each other is to listen with our ears and our hearts. To be assured that our questions are just as important as our answers. So yes, focus on what matters and listen with your ears and your heart. So thank you, Linda. Thank you, Margaret. It's been wonderful talking with you. We are really um, happy for your success and appreciate your time. Thank you. We hope you found something in this podcast that will inspire resilience in yourself and your organization. If you would like to browse our full list of podcasts, visit www.leaderonboarding.com and click on the Talent Up Elevating Leaders logo. Thank you for tuning in.